Welcome to Architecture, Design, and Photography. Today, we have a special guest. His name is Walid Azami. He is a photographer and commercial director, sometimes of music videos as well. He works in Los Angeles, but is originally from Kabul, Afghanistan. Walid is interesting to talk to me today because he shoots a very different subject matter than I do. He's shown to be very proficient at it and successful and comes from a very different background than, than I do. And I'm very interested to see what his journey has been and what his advice would be to others who are looking to do what he's done and decisions that he made that made him successful. Please welcome Walid Azami. Walid Azami, am I saying that right? That's exactly it, yeah. Huh. That's like the first time I've ever done anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a name exactly right? <laughs> yeah, no, not, not usually. Uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. I haven't really been able, or at, it's an odd thing. I know enough about what I do, although it's very different from what you do. But I, I tend to shy away from interviewing uh, photographers as much because I feel like I know more about it and I'm more interested in what I don't know. But I think that's to a detriment sometimes. And I'm, I'm really glad that we could get you on because Thank you. you've, for one, you've obviously been successful. You've had a lot of exposure in a lot of uh, the bigger brands, bigger media outlets and everything else. And you come from a very, very different background than me, and you've been very successful. So I'd love to know, you have to have some thought, I would imagine, uh, as to the reason, like, why have you been able to make it? Uh, what are the qualities about you and what were the opportunities that you had that made it possible for you to actually live this dream, essentially? Um, that's that's my main question to start out with. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. Do you want me to just go into it? Yeah, yeah. Unless oh, yeah. Uh, I, well, why don't you start with your your background and why you became a photographer, and then how you became a photographer? Sure. Um, I understand that this is largely architectural, and, and there's a great that's appreciation. That's totally fine. Yeah, and I have a huge appreciation for it because I'm creative directing for a real estate development company out of Las Vegas right uh -huh. now. So I'm watching them build homes. I'm watching them. It's not you know, Blue Heron, is it? No, but I do know no, about okay. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, used, I used to shoot for them a long time ago uh, when the yeah. New American Home was done. Shot okay. three, or four, three or four years out there in Las Vegas, and then they kind of switched up their business model or something. Um, yeah. But that was always a lot of fun. Sorry. No, no, no. But I do know Blue Heron. Um, this is not them. This is called Terra Firma. So they're a great company. Um, but so I do, I have this increasing appreciation for this type of photography and the work and everything. And I see how important it is. Um, but as far as like how I started is I didn't know I was going to be a photographer, just had no idea at all. And yeah, regardless of this being largely architectural or if someone is doing newborns or landscape or family weddings, et cetera, the work ethic is exactly the same and the strategy and the pricing yourself is exactly the same because humans are human, right? And so I started by being an assistant to Madonna and her manager. And so um, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about her, but she's the blueprint for so many pop stars. And um, usually means something. If a lot of people have a lot of opinions about you, it probably means you did something. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've made an impact. And I think even... 
I believe she's qualified for her social security check this year, or she will okay. be very soon, right? Right. Doesn't single... need to worry about finances anymore, so that's good. <laughs> she's a single mother of six. I worry about her. Right. You know, like she's... <laughs> that's good. That's <laughs> she good. could use a little help here and there. But um, I got to see the greatest people in the world doing what they do, understanding their value, understanding what a good work ethic is, all come together and help build her projects. And mm. I had that rare privilege of just sitting there going, oh my God, that's Jonas Ackerlund. Oh my God, that's so-and-so, right? And I would just watch and I obviously, I can Google these people's work and you're not going to come within Madonna's circle and um, be mediocre. You're just not. She just doesn't tolerate anything like that. Sure. So I got to see a lot of people doing a lot of creative things and I didn't even know I wanted to do photography. And so at this point, I was trying to make a decision. Do I want to be a music manager? Do I want to be an actor? Do I want to be an editor? I had no idea. But um, if I, I started... Paul, you yeah, back a little bit. Do. How did you even land in that opportunity to begin with? That's amazing. Sure. Um, I don't have the gift of abbreviation. I've said this in other podcasts too. So bear with me and, and stop me halfway if you need to. I, I basically took the, you know what, actually, I'm glad you asked this question because I think it's important to highlight your failures or your setbacks. Um, my bachelor's degrees took me seven, possibly eight years. Didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know that it cost me like $35 every single time I had to change my major. And at the end, I got stuck being a history major because I didn't have the $35 to change my major again. And, uh... That's As awesome. Ridiculous. Yeah, is it though? But it is because actually history well, is amazing. I mean, to to get at a point where there's a bottleneck of a decision that had to be made because you were that broke, that broke. to see where you're at now. I mean, how's that yeah. not amazing? Okay, well, look at you getting the uh, silver lining <laughs> trophy. No, but that's very true though. That's yeah. Um, there's something you. unique about you to get out of that. That's. And I want to know what it is. <laughs> I, I never gave up, ever. I um, just, I guess just to get that, how did I get to the Madonna office was I had this argument with my parents. And I think, I, I felt like it was only Middle Eastern people, but it seems like it's international. So-and-so's kid is a doctor now. So-and-so's kid is an engineer. Mine doesn't even know what they want to major in, right? And so I had that comparison and I knew that they were right. And I just kind of had like a blow up. Not kind, I had a full on blow up. And I went for, my favorite thing to do is just go for long drives, as dramatic as it seems, put on like a, an album. And I remember this album, it was Third Eye Blind. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> that one, yeah, I think so. And um, went down PCH by Laguna Beach, et cetera. And then I came back and I'm a firm believer of, okay, you're allowed to... Uh, stomp your feet and yell and do whatever you need to do. But then that's it. But that that's that's it. Because emotions are not currency. Get up and go do your thing. And so I found a website and I literally started Googling or Yahooing at this time um, how to work in entertainment. And um, I found a website called entertainmentcareers.net, found an internship um, for Maverick Films. Maverick Films is her company. It is so unsuccessful compared to Maverick Records as signed Alanis Morissette and, you know, Candlebox and some of these oh, other wow. people. And um, 
I, I, I sent an email and I didn't just send one email. I sent probably 20 or 30 of them all on the BCC line so that when the poor coordinator opens the email in the morning, it all says Walid Azami. Okay. And I just, and then an apology email that said, I'm so sorry. Sometimes my email coughs up additional copies, <laughs> which nice. obviously the apology one didn't cough up additional copies. It's only the, the resume one. That's, but I that's wrote, why like, you I'm, use sometime. <laughs> sometimes. Exactly. And I just wrote the most heartfelt rule breaking email. And I was like, I just need someone to give me a chance. I feel lost, but I have all the motivation in the world. And I don't come from money. I don't come from any experience. But what I can offer you is just sheer determination. And I think that that's going to outweigh anything and anybody. And I like, like, spilled everything. And I said, I'm 27. And I'm just get, starting to get an internship. And I know you're getting applications from 21 and 22 year olds. But I just have this me in a hard, the, the hard rock. What, what do you know the, the phrase? The, the between rock and hard place. Thank you. Wasn't born here. I'm going to blame that. And so, um, and I just had that drive. And she called me in. Her name was Jennifer. And she said, I just want to know who did this. Like, who spammed <laughs> my inbox? I have to know yeah. who this is. Right. And I literally, I was like, I will work so hard. And they gave me a chance. And me and 25 other interns. And um, I found my way to the right office and I helped the right people. And that's how. And then I got Madonna's manager's attention. And then they pulled me into her office and then started building up with them. Wow. Wow. That's that's so interesting. The uh, the honesty in there must have been some kind of not trigger, but uh, um, a v very much a breath of fresh air in a way in that industry, because everyone's I, got a facade, I would imagine, in that industry that's very thick. And for someone to come in and say, I'll do anything. I and I'll tell you right now, I am nothing. I am nobody but I'll give you everything. Just give me a chance. That's got to be so, um, it might not be the best approach all the time, but geez, it worked for you, right? So <laughs> it, 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 but did. you backed and it you, up too. I, I backed it up like unbelievable yeah. amounts. I, I worked so hard. Um, and I just backed it up and I, I literally don't recall because I think other people at this point, this is the beauty of being older was that when you're 21, 22, you just want the attention of these execs and you want right. them to praise you, but you don't want to do the work and you want to go to the, the cool in spots in town. And that's hard to get a reservation, but you want to be able to say, I'm with Madonna's company and then see if that opens the door. And then that's your, right. that's your spotlight for the week. Right. Mm -hmm. For me, I was like, I don't care. I, I don't care. I just want to work. And I would read, this is bad, but if you know LA traffic and it's not moving, yeah. um, I would read scripts that we had to do script coverage in traffic to get the work done. You know, and This is before you could drive a Tesla. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and yeah, I would just do that. And to make it even worse, I don't, I don't want to promote that, but what I do want to promote is I, you do whatever you have to do and you do the good work. And that's yeah, what got yeah. Madonna's attention. And then I learned a whole bunch from her. Wow. How much interaction did you have directly with her? A lot. What's that like 
being around someone who is a worldwide cultural icon figure? Is there, is there an intoxication to it? Is there a humility to it? Is there, what is the, what is the takeaway from something like that? Well, um, I love your questions because you're actually going deeper into them. Um, I, to being around somebody like that, uh, obviously, you could be in a little village in Southeast Asia, Africa, Middle East. You know who Michael Jackson is. You know who Madonna is. Nobody right. else, not to take away from anybody else, but that's like you said, it's this cultural no, no, no. icon. Yeah, there's Michael, and then there's Michael, and then there's yeah. Madonna. Yeah. Elvis, maybe, but like those from our generation, like those are, that's it, really. But you he, know, those are yeah, the big ones. They're big, but we don't make icons anymore. People that shifted culture. Right. Oh, Madonna shifted culture, right? Yeah. And and so she made an entire generation of girls dress like her. No other artist has done that since. Potentially Kim Kardashian potentially has done that whole fake BBL look, etc. But, um, you know, whatever. But but I think that what, what it was day to day with her was that she's very, very much in tune. She's very shy. She's very, very human. She um uh, and she really, really got to know everybody that worked with her. So if, if you were a dancer, she I do remember some cities she would go have dinner with their families. She's oh. the most un-Madonna you will ever imagine. But Madonna yeah. in front of the camera is different than behind the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I really knew better. Yeah, and I knew better to avoid her at all costs when the camera was rolling. Because it's performance time. Yeah, that's the that's if you're dealing with a predator, that's when she's a predator. There's, I mean, there's yeah, yeah. N- nothing will get in your way when you're I mean, Dave Chappelle has a line, don't don't come between a man and his livelihood. And that yeah. applies to any human. Yeah, and there yeah. the thing that I find I, I have a real interest in stand up comedy. Uh, but there, you can tell when you start to outline a comic in your in your mind and understanding them and seeing who they are but it's a it's a performance and oh, then they're is. a slightly different person off stage but when they're on stage that's a f- complete performance of a sculpted thing that they've made they're not just yep. winging it you know but it looks like they're winging it and if they're really good but it, it's amazing so in the winging it. so when you're a performer like an entertainer like madonna you know that you can be any you can be the nicest person in the world, but when it comes to that moment where you're doing your thing, yeah. it's like everyone else on earth has to come second in that, in that moment. And yes. that world champions of anything will tell you that, that the pursuit of that thing will be an all-consuming, most self-centered thing you'll have while you're pursuing that. Like people that win F1 multiple times or World Surf Championships or anything else, there's this intensity of you only can care about yourself and achieving that goal in, in that moment, you know? So it's, and that's what puts you in that superstar stratosphere. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that you're, you're saying like when she's on camera, just let her do her thing. Do not interfere. But offstage, she was actually having dinner with like dancers, families and stuff. That's, that's very human. Beyond human. Uh, yes, very human. Uh, you know, like we took Kabbalah classes that were optional. So like I got to see her uh, try to put spirituality into us because we know how tough the world is, you know, um, that 
private Quran classes, Torah classes at her house. Hmm. Just she's like, I, she's not Muslim, but she's reading the Quran. You know, yeah, she's that's, that's interesting. A, that's a literary mind, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. So so I learned a lot just watching people around her and I watched a work ethic that was just unmatched. Interesting. And, I, I uh, interviewed someone a while ago that was a designer that had sat in the room a few times with Michael Jordan also yeah, uh, in designing Nike products and a similar thing where it was just uh, with him. It, he, he was saying it was a completely different thing in that, that there was just such an incredible intensity that never turned off with Jordan, that, that it was just the most competitive individual that's ever been born kind of it's it was interesting but sorry sidetrack there but yeah. no but that's all fascinating stuff but i think that there's something that we can learn as as photographers and creative artists from that you got to believe in this so much that people have to question your mental stability yeah yeah you've got to be a little crazy to get farther than the ball has been pushed already so yeah you, you've you've got to be a little a little special in some way to, to be paid <laughs> as special, you know, it, it's just yeah. how, how it works out, you know? Um, so from your, from your time from there, how did you, from going from applying to a film agency essentially, or, or a production company to then moving into being a photographer and being successful at that? Sure. I, I, what had happened after that is that I had to make a decision. I don't want to get into management. And, mm. and then I made, the decision to be uh, put on her um, that she was directing a film, excuse me, Jonas Ackerlund was directing a film called I'm Going to Tell You a Secret. And it was kind of like a truth or dare part two. And, you know, that was like the first time uh, maybe Rattle and Hum might have been, but like this reality show base where she's letting the cameras in and all parts of her life. And so this was the second part, the spiritual human that's evolved, you know. And so I took the big risk of becoming a PA, the lowest, lowest form on any set um, from being an assistant to her manager. The treatment was unbelievable. How the you know, just the way people treated me because I was just a PA. But I knew that I wanted to make a change and I still didn't know which direction I wanted to go. Well, that job obviously ended in two, three months. And then um, I was like, don't know what's going to happen, but I thought everyone's going to hire me because who I worked for, but nobody hired me because of who I worked for. And because they were like, yeah, right. Like I, I just saw like your face just go, what? Uh, because Ron Howard turned me down as an assistant because he said, if you're an assistant for Madonna, you're going to get bored here. <laughs> so if Ron Howard turned me down, yeah. then everybody you're overqualified. else. Yeah. So then I was like, what's going on? But I had always grown up being obsessed with um, MTV or VH1's making the video. Okay. And I loved the documentary vibe of that. Yeah. And um, I, I had a video camera and no disrespect to videographers, but it's just push a button most of the time. If you're just doing videography, not cinematography. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, got, I had gotten one job for uh, doing BTS for an artist on Epic Records. Not a big deal. New artist. She's no longer there. And that job I got because Madonna's going away gift for me was, which I thought was very pompous at the time, but I'm so thankful for it. She said, your gift is you can bring a camera and you can film my rehearsals. That's your gift. Right. Else... 
it seems so incredibly arrogant, but for you, you know, are you kidding me? I get to shoot this and okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know till later. She knew. Yeah. 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 She, yeah. she knew her impact. Right. So then when I had that meeting with the Epic records for their new artist, they were like, do you have a reel? No, I didn't. But I just had this footage that I just burned on a DVD, put that in the right. little MacBook pro. And, and they're like, is that Madonna? And I said, yeah. And the lady says, oh, okay, you're hired. It was just done. I had no real, so, and then it was that moment. I'm like, oh my God. Um, at literally weeks after this job, uh, the recession hit, but we didn't know that a recession had hit 2008, 2009. And um, at this point, Jamie King, a good friend of mine now, was a creative director for the Madonna tour. Um, he had texted me and he said, where you been? I haven't seen you in a while. You're not traveling on the road with us. Um, and he's like, I'm back in LA if you're in LA. And he's like, we should get dinner. And God bless him because he knew exactly what he wanted to do. And he took me to dinner, a dinner I couldn't afford, a dinner I prayed that we wouldn't be splitting the bill because I cannot afford it okay, at all. And um, I was down to... Literally, I had almost told April, my roommate, that I need to move out and move back home. Total failing situation. And, and this is um, after working with Madonna. Yeah. 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 The, okay. the paycheck was, I got paid, but. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's gig economy. It, it, you have the job and then the job ends. It's not that you get fired or you displease anyone, but jobs end. Jobs end. Economy. And you have to. You have to know you have a talent, but you have to get out there and sh and and grab the opportunities. I, I always kind of imagine it like the, the there's only a ceiling that you can go hope so high in your attempt. That's it. Yeah. And if you can maintain treading water at this level, and if you can just stay there long enough, uh, <laughs> other people are going to fall down, and you're going to be the one person that's still able to tread water. And the opportunity is going to come eventually. And if you're still there, boom. You just said the magic statement. My, uh, one of my friends, a producer from Maverick Films, Eric Thompson, had told me it's the rule of thirds in this industry. One third will hang on long enough and then they'll eventually be promoted. One third will get too hard into drugs and alcohol. One third will just go home. Yep. Yeah. And he said, wow, if you yeah. just hold on long enough. And you hold on by having talent and by working hard, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and focusing. So essentially what had happened was um, Jamie King took me to dinner, broke me down, destroyed me that night, and then tried to rebuild and sprinkle the seeds of that. And he, I mean, when I tell you destroyed, it was, he would say, so what are you doing now? And I'm like, well, I want to, and he's like, shut up. And I said, wait, what? It was like this weird setup thing, you know? And, and I was like, wait, what? And I, and I said, I want to. And he's like, shut up. Stop and saying you want to. Yeah. Thank, well, you, yeah, you got it. Uh, younger Walid just did not at all. And I was like, I'm so confused because you're telling me what I'm doing. And he said, you're doing it or you're not. Don't say yeah. I'm, I'm going to. That's a waste of my time. You're stealing from my time. Yeah. And so that day he or that night, he and a friend of ours, Dago, who's a, another director, he had said, um, your instincts are it. It has nothing to do with religion. has nothing to do with whatever faith you're a part of or you're not a part of. Your instincts. And we discussed that night and he was saying how um, human beings are the only, if the listeners can hold on to one thing, it's this. 
Human beings are the only living creatures on this planet that teach their young to kill their instincts. No other living creature does that. In an attempt to fit in, an attempt to make life easy, be a good boy. Don't show emotions. Don't cry. Be a good girl. Be quiet. Shh. Mm-hmm. Don't be a loud girl. Don't be too opinionated. And so we teach people. That's why one of the first words you'll learn in any language, no matter how rich or poor you are, no, or your version of no in your language. You've been told no so many times that you pick it up. No, don't do that. No, no, no. We don't cry. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. And so hmm. we kill the instincts. Do you disagree with that? Somewhat. Uh-huh. Um, okay. It, there's, there's some truth in there. Uh, but I have some conflicting... This, this is great. I have some... Yeah. And by your discussion that I'm responding to is what I'm not... I'm about to tell you something great. But um, so... Okay. Yeah. Instincts. We, what, what's our, in your opinion, what's our native tongue? I'm not sure I understand that question. What's your native tongue? Oh, mine? Farsi. Before that. Screaming, what did you crying. understand before you could articulate words? Screaming, crying. Which are uh, a result of emotions okay our first language our native tongue is is emotional which our instincts try and speak to us through emotions desires um now your instincts are extremely broad when you're born there i'm hungry i need to find a breast or you know yeah this kind of thing um as you as you grow your your emotional availability at first is 100%. And this ties in with uh, hallucinogenic drugs. Supposedly, okay. what you're what's happening to you when you're under when you're high hallucinating is all your brain is being connected at once. Yeah. More so like a child when they're born. You, you see your hand, but instead of seeing it, you hear it in a way, or, or you uh, smell it, or you're, all of your senses and everything get connected. Yeah. And so this feeling of one that can happen, all of that starts to make more sense uh, to the deepest existence that you can imagine or comprehend. Um, but when you're born, supposedly, it's all connected. And yeah working from being fully emotional to being able to articulate and think together with your emotions is the process of eliminating pathways. So when, when a child's looking at their hand and it's just moving around and there's like, what the hell is this? There's, there's pathways that start to form that they understand like, Oh, wait a minute. Okay. This, okay. I get it. Now, now these first things of yes and no, I believe that they're, um, I think at our foundation, we're, um, we're psychologically uh, of one disposition or the other at the deepest level, and that's either going to be conscientious or open. You seem like someone to me that's very open. If you're making it in a creative field, you're pretty highly likely. You're, if you're a manager, you're probably a little more conscientious, and if you're a creator, you're probably more open, the generality. 
Um, and you're on the spectrum somewhere on both of those, you know. Um, but when you feel a positive emotion, yes comes out of that. When you feel uh -huh. a negative emotion, no comes out of that. And those are kind of usually within our first utterances of articulating an emotion, our native tongue, into uh, our second tongue, which is articulate word. And so then you start to articulate these things. And now if we didn't in some way um, pull back our instincts, I, I think maybe, maybe I'm outlining the emotional part as I'm disagreeing with rather than the instincts. Because yeah. I yeah. know you have to, you have to, I took a long time and put my emotions aside and suffered a lot for that and had to reintroduce myself to my emotions, long story. Um, but you have to introduce those, keep those with you. Midlife is a point in life where you almost kind of lose those. And you have to, you have to reintroduce yourself to them and say, all right, you're here for a reason. I need to listen to you as an advisor, but not allow you to control things. And okay. you listen to it and you're kind of like the referee in the middle. You have your emotions and then your articulate intelligence takes that and turns it into action and spoken word and everything else. So maybe I more agree with you than I thought about uh, resisting our uh, instincts and more so the emotional outbursts that are maybe a, a side product of that uh, is a better way of saying it maybe i think there's some uh, there's a little ton of over a little bit of overlap there is obviously yeah. uh, for me my point is more of just and i appreciate explaining that for me the point is more of like think about how many times we say no and we shut down people for who they are it's a protective word yeah it is yeah, it's, it's not done i 99 it's not done out of any malice yeah, it's a, it's like I, I don't know. That's scary. I'm hmm. Yeah. And obviously the parents want you to have the most successful life and and build social norms and, you know, manners, etc. I'm not saying that they're what they're doing is bad, but we have to rebuild that connection with our instincts. We have to yeah. realize yeah. that there is a greater power that's supposed to So when my website currently is under redesign, uh Almost every single photo shoot, video shoot that I have had has been written down and manifested on. No joke. Beforehand. Like, you, you create before. beforehand and then go. And I do that as well. That's interesting. Yeah. Some, a lot of people I know that are creatives only find it in the moment. I'm always one that really oh, doesn't calculated. use a camera unless I've preconceived an idea. Now, this brings me to a question. Yeah. Why do you use the Fuji X100V? And I'm wondering if your reason is the same reason as mine. Yes. Um, the reason why I bought it is because I wasn't photographing. So it's, it's interesting because photography in a lot of ways saved my life. But then I wasn't photographing because I was getting a little bit of an ego, a lot of, a lot of an ego saying, God, I mean... That's my work and I don't want to bring it. And then also people noticing me, which is also my ego. I don't want to be noticed. And then also just being stopped and, and everything. And I wasn't, it, it became work and that's my worst fear and, and what I do. And so the X100V just happened to have a lot of attention on YouTube. And I think that Fuji hands down makes the sexiest cameras. That's just the most superficial, sec, you know, yeah. reason. They're just so sexy looking. And so um, 
I just wanted a camera that was going to photograph life. And my mom and my dad, who both had, before I bought the camera, emergency heart surgeries in the past eight weeks separately, obviously separately, but um, I just want to photograph more. I carry this thing with me. I, I'll go to the farmer's market. I'll go to my aunt's house. I'll have my camera with me. I never like to carry my professional camera. And so that's why I bought it. And I put myself on Adorama's list. I just got my second email saying we're still not back in stock. I saw that the prices had increased. I made a bad financial decision, but my X100V is a decision of the heart. <laughs> Does the, is that why you got it or no? It's just uh, yes, shooting yes. fun. I, my, uh, my reasoning in getting it, one, was a, a exercise in difficulty. Because uh -huh. there's there's no like, oh, I'll just zoom wide. I'll zoom tight. Work so for it. It, it, it forced me to work for it because I'm always with a tilt shift and zoom and everything. I'm, I can do anything I want. And I'm not, I don't have to move really. And I work in such a constrained, restrained environment all the time. And having that flexibility, when I'm out in the open and, you know, free, I don't want to, I use the, the Fuji the big one, whatever is the GFX 100 yeah. when I'm working and that you don't want to lug that thing around. So this, this little guy that's fixed lens, very compact. I, and I was guilty of not being creative enough in my downtime because I was just so enveloped in work. Like I, to a, to a fault would not pick up a camera unless I was being paid because I wanted to protect that creative energy in a way. But then I also realized I didn't want to lose the relationship with creativity because I was only working there. I was just explaining to this to someone yesterday. It's such an odd thing uh, working as a sole entrepreneur monetizing creativity mm -hmm. because you're you are essentially prostituting your life experience. <laughs> you're not like you're not signing in and giving someone hours you're giving them everything that you've perceived up to that point because they right. have a problem over here and somewhere over here there's a solution but you've mapped more of reality because you love to go out and experience and learn things because the novel is amazing and filling that propensity to go out and experience what you haven't fills in that map and lets you know how to get from problem to solution that's how creative open people work and i wasn't doing that enough, I don't think, in my day-to-day, yeah. -day, just kind of taking bad pictures a lot and then kind of realizing that's bad because of this. And this one actually is pretty good because of that. And I, that was good because I moved in or I moved over here and I had something in the foreground. And it just became a thing that it was far more of a an exercise of not caring but just going through the process I've seen and trying to create and and, on, and just putting those on Instagram and playing around with it, I really, and again, I went even more vain and got the one that looks like a retro camera rather than the all black one. I, I couldn't resist it. It was so nice. So I, I love that camera. It's, it's a lot of fun. It, it just keeps me actually like, if I had a Canon that had a lens protruding on it and I was just going on a walk, I wouldn't take it. This one I have it. the... Yeah, I have the strap, I put it on and it hangs on my side and it's like it's not there. And then all of a sudden I find myself just getting cool pictures of fall and spring in the sky. And it's just, I don't know, it, it, uh, it, keeps, it keeps me engaged because there is such an, um, 
there's such a danger in, especially I think people our age will say, that if you work creatively from your 20s up till now, there's just a high likelihood you can very easily burn out and start phoning it in. Yeah. And if that happens, you're, you're just riding an elevator down at that point, very slowly. You'll still get work and it'll, you know, but it'll, you know, and I want to stay engaged and hungry and active in that. And I could feel this sense of getting overworked and not being creative enough, not being challenged enough. And so I intentionally pulled myself back. I scheduled less work and I started playing more as a response. So. I think that that's a great way for any type of photographer to keep that fire lit, you know? And and yeah, for me, my camera too, much like yours, is that it's my back to basics camera that just happens to be beautiful aesthetically too. But there's so many times that I'll walk around downtown Los Angeles or somewhere in Orange County and I'm in Southern California and um, I'll take a picture of something like, I have to actually walk across the street to get this picture. But that's what is fun about what we do, right? And yes, there's AI, but that's not fun. I actually like making something with what I saw connect to my finger. I pushed a button at the right time. And, you know, I'm an artist. I'm not a promptist. Promptist is going to be a word now. There's, well, I mean, I just did like a full YouTube video on this. It's like uh, a... you're, it's kind of like saying, I'm a chef. No, you're not. You used a microwave and that's okay. And there is a lane for you and you fed somebody, but you're not right. a chef. A chef felt it. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, Oh yeah, that's good. You know, so felt when you're it. sitting on, yeah. When you sit on mid journey and you come out with something gorgeous, you didn't make the art, you made the prompt. Yeah. You pushed the buttons on the microwave and right. it's cool. And there's a place for that. But that's uh, another reason why, like in the community where I teach photographers, I'm like, you guys, this is going to eat up your bottom tier clients, no matter what kind of photography you do. But the ones that can afford, they want something done by an artist. And before AI imagery, I refuse to say art, before AI imagery, there was art you can buy at Ikea for the masses. That stupid flat iron building, the black and white that everyone thinks is creative, they put it in their wall. Every new bachelor has that one big frame. And it's like, <laughs> right? And that was for the masses. But the people that wanted custom art paid a lot of money for it happily. Right, right. So I think we're okay for a little bit. So I, I just heard a clip from Billy Corgan, lead singer of the uh-huh. Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing Pumpkins. Um, and he was talking about AI prompts and everything else and like up to this point we've had imperfect musicians making imperfect songs perfectly yeah or perfect like and it's like there's something in the lack of perfection that tells you that it's actual so like if you take a rendering of a building you can make it perfect no one's going to believe it's real until it's slightly off of perfect. Yeah. Now, why? Why? That's, that's odd that we have that. Is that only from our experience or is that something that's hardwired into us as deep as like truth and love in a sense? That knowing that, that perfection is just not possible 
And if it is perfect, it must be very, very one-sided. Perfect is boring. And I know that clip you're talking about actually stitched it on TikTok. I think perfect, perfect is boring. Um, You can't learn from perfect. Um, When there is this imperfection in a song, that's what gives it that personality, right? Mm. And so that's what makes your, that's why put both of us, if we take a, a photograph of a beautiful mansion, I can never do what you can do. I just can't. And you couldn't take what I could take. Same camera, same location, a minute apart. And that's, it's, it's got the flavor of it. It's got yeah. your flavor in it. So um, there's, it's just going to be where it's just so widely accessible. Everything is just very template. And there's a place for that in a good spin cycle class you want to work out. But if you want, you know, like that kind of like beat that yeah, there's no yeah. variations. But I think we're going to be OK. I, I do. I think I, that anyone I that doesn't have an opinion. Mm-hmm. So but, here's well, not a not too much of a but there. There is a good quote that I just heard from Rick Rubin as well in in his creative process. I think it was Anderson Cooper asking him, what do you do? Uh, and why do you get paid for this? And he's like, no, well, I can't you. really explain it. I, I just kind of have an opinion and I'm confident in it. And I share that and it empowers the artist to make it with them. And, but the part that grabbed me was that he was like, we are simply not aiming at making music that we think people will like. We're making music that only that artist can make. Because if you're making music to make it for someone else, it's not true. And so right. you, you'll probably because of a precedent, be able to say this has sounded good and people have liked it. So let's push this towards that. And there'll be a better return on your investment as a producer or anything else. But if you really aim at only the truth that comes out of that artist and nothing else and, and just make it the best of that artist, then it has a real thing that connects over and across culture, you know? I, I, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, I listen. I think we're gonna be okay. People freaked out at any at every point. People freaked out when I first picked up a camera, like digital camera. That's not photography. I'm like, well, cool. Have a seat. I'll take over. You know. Yeah. And we have to learn to use it to speed things up. But at the end of the day, I want the artist, and there's enough yeah. people that want the artist. So That's it. There, there's there's two things I'd like your opinion on that that have to do with AI. They're kind of difficult concepts, but I'll try and get the difficult one out of the way first. Um, There's, uh, let me see if I can frame it right. Um, I'll go with the easier one first. Maybe the second one will reveal itself. So I think I've been using chat GPT a lot Uh because I'm really interested in philosophy, theology, and how they overlap materialism, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and you can use ChatGPT to access all of philosophy immediately to help help steer you right where you might be assuming wrong, yada, yada, and yada. Um, but uh, it seems to me that these AI things that enhance creativity uh, or just simply do it for you, what I think will happen is that I view... I view our existence as base psychological humans as being either conscientious or open, and those are the things you don't try and change about people. To ask me to um, 
to exist as a conscientious person is, is going to destroy me after a while. And if I ask someone who's conscientious to join me in the world of like, we're doing something different like every minute, it's going to tear them down as well. And, but the, the things are complementary to society if you respect them both. Now, what I think AI will essentially be is that tether from the astronaut back to the space shuttle. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that we're working on essentially, our reality is essentially, a think of it as a medieval fortress built of bricks. Everyone, if you want to benefit from what's been created, you're on the inside uh, able to recoup within safety and with the things provided in there. Why do you leave the walls? You leave the walls to go get the raw materials to resupply everything needed that's inside the city and safety, if you will. Now the open, those who are open, leave the walls to go get the raw materials to create. That those who are open have a zone of proximal development, which is a psychological term, which means you can be outside of order and survive at this level, or maybe you're closer to being inside established order because you're more conscientious and that's where you thrive. So wherever your zone of proximal development is, is where you are, right? Those who are highly open go far outside the wall. They'll burn up out there eventually if they stay too long. But when they come back, what do they do? They present to those within the walls and say, I found something in my experience and I've taken it from the more abstract and through creativity and my subjective experience, I've made something that is of more concrete utility that I would like to present to the, those within the wall, to add to the wall. And so then the conscientious people on the wall at that point say, that brick is amazing. We're going to add it to the wall and we're going to build a better wall. Or they're going to say, you disregarded our rules. You went outside the wall. Now you've made a bad brick and you're in danger. We're going to cut your head off and put it on a stake outside the wall to let everyone else know, don't ever break the rules again. That's right. the risk in being creative, that you have to put yourself out there as the creation. That's why we're selling our experience as creatives. You offer yourself and all that you perceive as a solution for something that someone needs. And if you don't do it right, it's, it's a horrible death. But if you do it right, they put you on your shoulders and you get paid handsomely. Right. The sad thing is that I realize now is that when conscientious people leave the wall to do something, what is it they're doing? They leave the wall to go to war to protect that wall. And when they come back, either in body bags or whole, we don't value them like we value creatives returning. We, we give them a stipend and not a lot of medical care. And, and there's a sad reality to that, that if you leave the wall and you're guaranteed pay, and you're willing to do it for that, that's all you get. But when you're creative and you leave the wall to create something, you're guaranteed nothing. You're, you're out there on your own. But if you can survive and you come back with something of value, you're extremely highly rewarded. And it's just simply the risk reward proposition, yeah. essentially. And that's yeah. the, the entirety of the creative process, which brings me back to the AI thing. I think that if you think of the, the the medieval wall that we're creating to protect us all and think of that as the space shuttle and the astronaut out doing a spacewalk ai is that link to say okay everything that's inside the wall 
you can now, through this product essentially, take it with you out into the vast unknown and still have all of human knowledge that we've created at this time. You can take that with you and it helps you create more quickly, potentially. More, right. like you were saying, more quickly and, and, and more expansive. I think that's one possibility that those who are creative will now be turbocharged in their creativity by using it. There'll be some people that say, I'm not going to use it ever. It's only going to be, you know, human. I kind of think maybe we should have a label on anything that's created with AI so we know it's in it, which leads me to my second concept, which is a little more difficult. <laughs> um, we got to a point where we outsourced the production of our food. I found mm -hmm. this out because I went out and tried to pick blueberries in my yard for our breakfast. It took me an hour just for us to not have enough blueberries, right? Yeah, yeah. So we outsource that. But as soon as you outsource it, you lose the value in the wisdom that you receive in doing that act, right? So now I'm just paying people to do everything for me without gaining the knowledge, without gaining the wisdom involved in the process. So now what is AI going to take from us in this process that in the same way we lost in making our own food. When we made our own food, we knew what was in it. We had a relationship with it. Now that other people make it, we're kind of suspicious. We need a warning label on it to say it's got these ingredients in case you're allergic to this, that, or the other. It's of this quality, this many calories, that much fat, but there's a label on it so we know. We've distanced the relationship between the consumption of the product from us making it to someone else making it. So there needs to be a warning label. So yeah. in creativity, I think we do the same thing. If you're making something and AI has been used in it, I think we need to know that because there's something different in there that's not being done by us that is outside of that circle of trust. We're now dealing with something that we've created outside of humanness that is now affecting us in a huge way. It's our, it's our intellectual health now that's going to be affected if we're not careful. And I think I having that warning label is huge. I absolutely agree with you. I think that, um, you know, I wanna know which art contains humanity and which contains natural intelligence or artificial intelligence, first of all. Um, but I don't think that that will come. So let me just say one note that may upset a lot of the listeners is that I think America Americans in general are in trouble under AI. Uh, we're too young of a country. We don't. Oh yeah. We don't respect the process as much as other older, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't say civilizations, but just older cultures. Older we're, cultures. We're, we say. are a mixing pot. Like a yeah, we are a mixing pot. We are that rich little kid that has everything that's 12 years old and we're it's such a young nation we're still trying to find ourselves we we don't give our like it's it's the funniest thing when i see everyday americans defending billionaires as if they give a damn about you but they'll say well we can't afford healthcare for everyone really you know and it's just to do the bidding of these billionaires but not to say how are we going to afford this missile that just destroyed a village you know um etc yeah. across the world I think that we are too young of a nation still. We don't have a handle on many things. And further, uh, you know, that's why we get possibly a Trump or possibly a Biden again. And 
I just look, I'm like, my God, like I'm waiting for the UFOs, right? So I think AI is going to handle America a little bit differently. Um, and I don't say that in a positive way, but I would love to have some sort of labeling. The, the concern that I have there is I always had an issue when um, I, it might've been England, I'm not sure, where they had a label saying if it was Photoshopped. Yeah. Well, where does that stop? Because do we need to have a label that, that mo- um, the model has contouring makeup and that they have lighting, that they've been retouched, that they're wearing yeah, high heels? That, where yeah. do we stop? You know, like, do yeah. they have a push-up bra? Do we need to notify? Because that's affecting people too. So I just don't know where, where it begins and where it ends. But I, I don't think that we're going to see change until AI causes political devastation and then you'll see something come in. As humans, we don't change until it's desperate. Yeah, or the powers that be are like, eh, until it affects their lives. Yeah, right. And right. and and then suddenly we thought Joe Biden said something, or we think DeSantis or Trump said something, and they didn't, and it caused like chaos. And then they're like, oh no, we have to like put labels on it. Don't know. I don't know where I stand on that. Hmm. But yeah, I would like I, to know if my art is AI or if it's natural intelligence. Right. Yeah, it I'm I'm trying to I mean, it, did you grow up religious? Um semi we grew up I, I'm Muslim. Mm-hmm. My parents raised us Muslim, but we grew up thinking we may not be you don't know until you know. So we yeah. always like respected other faiths and we're like, maybe they have the truth, but this works for us. So that's kind of how it was just yeah. religious, but not like we're going to heaven, you're all going to hell. It was not that at yeah. all. It was a moderate form of religion. Yeah. Just kind of like, we're all good. It's like same gift, different gift wrapping. Right. Good way of putting it. Yeah. I, I grew up religious and uh, distanced myself from religious practice about a decade ago. And in in working through that, you just you start to see so much more. If if it's something that had a very, very deep hold on you, it's either extremely destructive to your life to lose or it's it's extremely eye opening. And you actually go a lot deeper with it through through uh, a deep questioning of it. And and that's been something that's been really valuable to me. That's really made me more curious overall. Um, and, and to want to know more about the creative process. And that's kind of where I find myself in the belief system now, oddly. So, but yeah, I gotta say, I love the way you think. (laughs) I really, I no, I, no, no, but really genuinely, I genuinely, I really, really do. I think that you, I don't hear that much. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, listen, because, uh, you probably call people out on things. That's why, you know, but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you do, I, I do think that you're open-minded about it. You entertain different schools of thought, but I, I, when I speak to you, I'm like, oh, this man is into like spiritually, intellectually, he's hungry and he keeps trying to feed himself more, mm. more knowledge, more experience. And I, I appreciate that. I think that that makes a better artist. That's a great compliment. I appreciate that. <laughs> of course you, you have that. In re- now you have that on recording so you could play that. Anytime. <laughs> yeah. Just going to I'll put it on repeat as I go to sleep every night. I'm the yeah. best ever. Um, so uh, let me see. I had like actual questions other than interesting things to talk about that I was going to try and ask you. <laughs> sure. Um, all right. So uh, 
when you get started. So in, in the entertainment industry, there's been such a crazy shift from the standard when you and I were in our 20s, potentially. I'm, I'm guessing you're roughly in my age range. Um, you know, back in the 90s to now, the, the Hollywood and production studios now with streaming, it's such a different ball game and it's, it's spread out to like Georgia and Louisiana and how, how does someone get started these days in the field that you're in, do you think? In the entertainment in general or photography or directing? or Photography just... and entertainment, yeah. Well, I, I think that this is like a, a word that's been floating in one of those wokey type of words. But uh, every, the internet has democratized everything. And mm. so you no longer have to be in Hollywood. Um, you can be anywhere you want. You could be in a village. Like I'm, there's this couple living in Alaska called Simple Living Alaska. I'm obsessed with their lives, right? They just YouTube this whole homesteading uh, voyage that they're on. You could be and make a very, very healthy income. You could make art anywhere. I love it, actually. I love that Hollywood isn't the gatekeeper, so only certain kinds of people will make it in. Mm. Um, I love that there isn't one streaming mm. network, that there's 50 of them. And so you're like, cool, I'm just going to speak to my people. Um, I love all of that. I, I, I would say for anyone to, quote unquote, make it, the, the base ingredient is you have to have an opinion. If you don't have an opinion, um, mm. you're done. Uh, nobody wants to hear from you. Um, Tell and, me more about that. Why do you think an opinion is important in, in a creative industry? That's an interesting thing that yeah. I can understand, but maybe not articulate. Well, you know, the, the example that I gave earlier, let's just say we're photographing a beautiful home, same mm -hmm. camera, one minute apart. I can't do what you can do because you're going to give it your opinion based on your experience, based on what you think beauty is. Because ultimately, as a photographer, uh, if you had to explain your job to somebody a thousand years ago, we make somebody sit in light. And that's it. Or, uh, or I could potentially even argue that and say, we try to show the beauty in things that people cannot see. That's literally our job, to show beauty in everything, mm. right? Um, you have to, to be able to truly do that, you have to have an opinion. Mm. You can't think on theory and go, well, this color plus this color is very trendy, and let me just do it. That might work on the sprint, but not in the marathon. And so when you go on the Instagram, okay, when you look at TikTok trends and I see photographers and they're all doing the same stupid skits and they're doing the lip syncing and they're, you know, but they're doing it for the likes and stuff. I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, okay, I get it. You're going viral every single time, but I bet you anything, you're not getting a client out of this because there's no yeah. opinion. You're just mimicking. You're just duplicating things. And if you don't have an opinion, then, okay, like the, maybe I'm not making the best point. On Instagram Explore page, there was a moment three years ago, maybe, that there was a trend that somebody got a colored smoke, what are those smoke bombs? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they would run through a field with like um, a green and a turquoise one. And then they might right. even wear um, a face mask. The big, the big skull one. There's yes. Some guy doing that a while ago. It looked so cool once. <laughs> 
once, but then it's on the explore page and everyone is doing it. When I see you do that, when I see you hang your feet off of the edge of a building and you photograph your shoes, like from downtown LA, New York City, Jersey, whatever, you're not creative. You just copied the next person. Or when you yeah. poured a bottle of, if you did it the first couple of times, that's okay. But when you pour, you remember that trend where they would like pour a little bit of water in a pothole, take their camera and get a reflection of the city. Um, it's when you would look at the Instagram explore page, it was like hundreds of them. When yeah. you do that, you're telling the consumer base, there's nothing special about you. You're easily duplicatable, may not even be your idea. So if you won't do it for the pennies that they're going to be offering, somebody else will do it. You're not original. You're mm. a penny stock. And so that's why I think that if people have opinions and they're like, I just, I don't care if 99% of the people think I'm crazy. I mm. want to do it this way. Those people are going to have harder time finding that perfect client. But when they find them, my God, is that a match? And they're happy to pay thousands for that. Hmm. So here's a, here's a, a spinoff idea you're making me have from this. Okay. Which, by the way, I just thought, I really hope your parents are okay. You mentioned that earlier. I just want to say I hope yeah. they're doing well. I didn't thank say you. anything earlier, so sorry. No, thank I you. It. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, so, what you're saying about having an opinion, I think that's really true. Uh, it also mm -hmm. makes you a person that can be difficult to deal with if you don't know when to turn it off at home. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm pointing yeah. this finger at me. I, uh, yeah, because um, I was like, "Wait, hold up!" But yeah, at home. Okay. Is this how you clean that up? Is this how yeah. you cooked it? Uh, oh. um, so, but okay, that opinion is extremely valuable if you're open and a creative trying to solve a problem where there's a creative need, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, when it comes to faith uh, and what you believe, and, and not necessarily God, but what you believe, and no one gets out of belief. You have to believe something. Uh, that Correct. Either that there's nothing or whatever. That's all I'm saying. Um, I agree. When it comes to belief, I'm reminded of a verse from the Bible. It says, uh, don't, don't be like a wave driven and tossed by the wind. So it's saying, don't be constantly wishy-washy and not having an opinion. Okay. Now, that's different. Like faith, it's talking about belief and not being wishy-washy in that. But it's a very similar thing that we're talking about over here, being creative. If you're wishy-washy and whatever... Now, what is the difference in those two processes? Like in the creative process, you're, you're, you're looking at everything that you can see and you're, you can tell there's a relationship there, but maybe not necessarily that it's clear. But if you have an opinion, a lot of times you can bring those truths together in a way that people cannot deny. And that's when you've created, here's something <laughs> that I've created. It's now two facts that become one that will be consistent and accepted in a way. And when it's applied to faith, I think that's more of a conscientious thing, like accepting something as true and holding on to it. That's a conscientious uh, process, if you will, where creativity is an open process. Proposing new truths is essentially creativity, okay. where faith is maintaining what we've established as true, which is the work of the conscientious. So I think it's interesting that you're pointing out that creativity requires an opinion where yeah. conscientious observance of a faith requires 
what's the word of like a stick to itiveness or, uh, you know, there, it's interesting to me that those two qualities of opinion and not being wishy-washy are the same thing, but they apply to these two things that are very different, um, processes, but are so incredibly valuable to our existence as well. That's, that's, I don't, I don't know that there's any response to that because I don't even know if I can <laughs> clearly state that. But there's something there that probably a year from now I'll understand. So, And we could do another episode then. If it, if it, yeah, I, I think, listen, opinion is you just need to have it. It's, it's, it's a privilege to have it. It's a privilege for people to pay you for your – and not opinion in the most surface level of like that's ugly. That's good. No, it's – I think this this photograph requires a little bit of grain against the backlight of the sun. That's an opinion, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah for yeah. you to like feel it, but to stand up for that opinion. And uh, I, I wish that artists just understood. I'm watching a lot of my peers sit back and go, oh, okay, okay. Are we not allowed to get paid a lot? Okay. Are we not allowed to have a lot of, op-? and it's just, it's ruining the art. And I just wish artists knew how powerful they were. There is a reason why when, and I know this personally from Afghanistan, one of the first things that happens when there's a coup attempt, when there's a takeover, you jail two kinds of people first, the intellects and the artists. The artists will move society like nobody else. And those two together uh, make a spark that becomes a flame that you cannot put out. And so... I just see, you know, we have so many different themes to this podcast episode, and I'm so thankful for it. But I just wish that artists and a lot of my peers just knew you're allowed to be eccentric. You're allowed to be dynamic. And the more you are, as long as you're polite in it, the Mm. more people want to pay for you, the more fun it is. You know, that's it on that one. I'm always struck by this, and you're you're helping me be able to... Uh, articulate it say it is that when when we look at a a nicely designed living room we set up the camera and get the ipad so we're seeing it live and we look at it and there's usually about four to six of us who knows there and and there is in that moment no right and wrong it's only me and the other people there like i don't know someone walks into frame and we move something a little bit we're like yeah, that's good, but it creates some tension here, I think. And then we have an opinion this way. We have an opinion that way. And it's all just a constant nitpicking of opinion to get this whole scene until it feels as close to that's perfect as we can get. It's never going to be perfect, but there's just this subjectivity that that we're all getting paid to be there and just kind of give our opinions on. And it's, yeah, it's but, an opi- interesting but opinions thing. in your lane, not from everybody right. on set. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and it, it's, it took me, it was interesting, like when I first started out, my opinion didn't really count for anything because mm-hmm. I, I did, had no reputation and it was usually the architects or the, mm-hmm. you know, whoever else that was kind of like, oh, I think this, you know, and, you know, about 15, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, all of a sudden they're like, I, if you think that, that's what we're going with. It, it like there was this switch all of a sudden where I had done it enough. And 
And I can actually articulate that on set now. He's like, no, this is bad because, and this corner's coming in too close a contact with that corner, and it creates a pinch there that's visually not mm -hmm. appealing. It's too bright on the edge of frame. It's going to draw your attention over. This is sagging here. That's not, you know, you can you can verbalize that now. Where at the beginning, I I just kind of would like, ah, I you I know. don't know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's but, interesting but to see that trained over time and, and to come to know it and to come to have confidence in it. So are you saying that they're paying you for your opinion, right? Because they yeah. don't oh, push yeah, 100%. That's it. Yeah, exactly. And now how much do you struggle with imposter syndrome syndrome in the past? I, I still do. Yep. I still do. You learn to have many heart attacks just very silently by yourself, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, I think that anyone that is a genuine person has imposter syndrome. And, um, when the thing that we do, no matter what type of photography you do, when you do a good job, pay attention to what people say, they ask questions that's looking for a hole in your plan. You know, like, like if some, if I photograph, let's say I photographed, a. um, uh, Bernie Sanders, for example. Okay. How did you get that? Like, did you know someone? And it's like, people are always looking for ways to downplay your accomplishment. I learned to, you know, through working on myself, I've learned to, um, are still learning correction, sorry, to honor the feeling and go, okay. Uh, but my uncle said something. He's like, when your heart and your mind go crazy, it will inevitably you have to rely on the data. The data will never lie to you. And so when your heart is like, I don't know if, I don't know, if, I don't know why they hired me. I really don't know. And my mind is like, I don't know. I, am I good enough? Is my gear good enough? Am I going to blah, 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 blah. And you start, then it starts snowballing, right? Faster and faster and faster in your head. And right, right. you're, you're about to have an anxiety attack. You have to stop yourself and say, right now, the heart and mind are like two little cats on a leash or something. They're going different directions but rely on the data. The data is I've had a career of t over 12 years. I have had this, I have had this. And so when I have imposter syndrome, I go back to the data and I actually carry yeah. that in my wallet. I have, I have done a whole full podcast and a YouTube episode about this of 10 things that I'm very proud of. And they're not big. Some of them are huge. Some of them are big for me. And so I, I look at that and I read it, I'm like, no, no, you're good, and you belong here, and I put it away. So yes, I have imposter syndrome. No, it'll never end. And if I could even just like um, bring it to how we started, one of the conversations I'll never forget in my life, hopefully, is when it was opening night in Los Angeles for the Madonna tour. Now, I think that every one of your listeners knows who she is. Not Maybe not all of them will know. I think she holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the most successful solo artist in history. I think. Wow. Or, fe or female, at least, you know? She's, she's massive. But I remember the conversation that she was having. It was a private conversation between her and manager, but I was in the, off, uh, in the, in the, in the room. And she's like, um, I don't know. I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I could do this, Okay. There's a whole stadium going, Madonna, like screaming. Wow. Okay. Someone like Madonna having, wow. Yeah. And I share this because there is inevitably a person right now with the camera next to them going, I don't know if I'm good enough, you know? And so I say that for that person. Um, so 
we did a prayer circle. She does it every single, and she prays first for the audience, then she prays for her crew, then the dancers, then herself, and just hopes that everyone has a good night. And she said, at the end of the prayer, she said, and if I could be very selfish for a second, um, I have a lot of friends and family that have come from other states to be here tonight. I have a lot of my peers here to watch me tonight. I hope that I have a good show um, to show them that I've made something out of my life. And I was like, yo, if you think that, then I'm right. never going to feel confidence, right? right. <laughs> and, wow. and I say that because it'll always be with us. That's yeah. it. Yeah. My imposter syndrome is I suffer with it, but it's different than yours in that I don't worry about my equipment. I don't worry about my performance because I've done it so much. Mm -hmm. I know I can do it. It doesn't bother mm -hmm. me. I worry that I know anyone else could do this. I know that's not true, mm -hmm. but that's what I suffer from. That's weird. I, I always assume that everyone else's experience is exactly like mine. Oh, and it no. makes me yeah. very difficult uh, to be able to read other people and their experiences and what might they might be going through but that's it, such a weird dynamic but but it's but it's weird because we're weird you know we're artists or weird people that's it but go ahead i'm sorry well i just wanted to be able to get you out of here i i've really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much um i'm really glad we could finally work this out with all the scheduling and everything it's been really enjoyable. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, we'll have to do this again sometime. And uh, whatever you got to go do, go do it. And thank you. I enjoyed myself very. I enjoyed myself very much too. And I, I <laughs> I've, I've, uh, yeah, I know. I've been to all kinds of podcasts. I'm always thankful when someone gives me a stage. But I really enjoyed this because you went places where I think a lot of artists are afraid to go and they question it and they wonder if they're the only ones that think that way. And just to be able to just have that conversation, I'm thankful for because I, I really think that it's going to help some people or I'm hopeful for that. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I'd love uh, to do it again. We definitely should. Uh, Walid Azami, where can people yes. find you? Um, walidazami.com and then on Instagram where I help photographers it's walid at walid.azami and my YouTube channel is walidazami.tv awesome uh, everyone yep. go go check out Walid's work he's very uh, very well accomplished and has done a ton of amazing work uh, you'll you'll be jealous immediately so it'll be <laughs> inspiring so Walid thank you so much uh, and have a wonderful evening I enjoyed my time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it.